This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and print magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, the digital fashion, beauty and wellness, entertainment and lifestyle publication. And on this podcast, you'll get inside the story with the tastemakers and the trends that matter right now. From the actors you enjoy watching in TV and film to the most influential fashion and accessories designers, the costume designers responsible for all the on-screen style that makes its way straight to the streets, the beauty pros who set the trends in hair and makeup, the culinary creators who dream up all you want to eat and drink, the wellness experts who innovate in self-care and more, it's conversations with creatives, and we're exploring the origins or game-changing ideas and careers with those who are pushing culture forward. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products with our high-low approach to style and the belief that magic exists in the diversity of mix. We're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. Get inside the story right here. It's Story and Rain Talks. With solid footing in television, including her breakout role in beloved Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why, actor Alicia Bow intrigues in Jesse Eisenberg's recently released indie film, When You Finish Saving the World, begging the question, what's next? Here, our latest cover star discusses what it was like working with the actor who wrote and directed his first film and playing Lila. She explains what drew her to the part, her initial thoughts on playing opposite Finn Wolfhard in the film, how she's both similar to and different from her character, and why stories about the parent-child relationship move her. We discuss her early start as a performer at age seven, life in Norway, doing cartwheels in the airport upon touching down in L.A., growing up as a young actor in the Valley, and being homeschooled because she was picking up so much work. Alicia names the shows, films, and actors who helped stoke her interest in her career, how simultaneously working on series like Ray Donovan and CSI taught her to be comfortable on set, and what it's like to collaborate with crew. Having not discussed it for some time, Alicia revisits and reflects upon 13 Reasons Why in an exclusive conversation here, and talks about her life-changing role as assault survivor Jessica Davis, and how Jessica's story provoked and still provokes constant conversation in her life. We get into the series' serious topics that she describes as personal, how the experience made her less naive, and how playing Jessica made her feel more connected to people. We talk her feelings about social media, what's important when picking projects, and work-life balance. We go behind the scenes on Alicia's photo project with our episode 59 guest artist, Sarah Baba, when she feels most comfortable in front of the camera and how she feels about fashion. We discuss her values of friendship and home, the push and pull of inspiration, the beauty of a well-worn t-shirt, and other items that make up her six list of six current obsessions. Please enjoy this episode with the lovely and talented Alicia Bow. Story and Rain's latest cover star. How was the big birthday? Oh, it was good. Yeah. I came back last night, very late. You were born in Norway, but grew up in Los Angeles and became immersed in acting at an early age. What drew you to pursue a drama program? 
and acting. Yeah, well, I was I was born in Norway, and even in Norway, I was performing to some capacity. I was you were. I would be in after school programs and be. I was so young, so I'd play like a tree in the play that they're putting on, and I was a ballerina, and I just loved the attention of performing. When I moved to the States, I continued with just acting in the extracurricular sense. And it's a funny culture here in Los Angeles, because when you're a kid and you're interested in acting, you go to an acting class and then you start, you know, doing commercials and print work. And it was something that was just part of my life growing up. I'd go to school and then maybe I'd have a print job or a commercial audition. And then when I was 16, I started taking it more seriously. And I was booking jobs to the point of where I couldn't really keep up with the workload at school. So I decided to homeschool myself. It wasn't really a choice. It was luck and dedication to choosing acting and auditioning that I landed a drama role. And that first big role was 13 Reasons Why um, when I was 19. Huge. It's a huge first role. <laughs> what an amazing experience. But it's interesting because you came to this country before you were seven. Is that right? When we tell people on this podcast that you were performing at a really young age, like you were really, really young. Do you remember what sparked it? I don't remember this. As a tiny, tiny girl. Really. Yeah, I think there were now that I'm thinking about it, there were a couple of girls in my school in Norway who are a bit older than me, who I think I really looked up to. And they had this one particular girl had booked some TV show at, on the local, you know, Norwegian channels. And I was like, that is just the coolest thing. And I think just the feeling of being able to perform was so special to me and almost felt like second nature. And it was something that I felt like I needed to do. And it was just so in, ingrained in my personality. It was just a given. And I was lucky to have a mom that really supported me. Uh, my mom was a single mom when we were in Norway. And it was just me and her. She just wanted to let me do anything that would make me happy. While she was going to school and while she was working, she just made sure that we'd get the bus and I'd get, be able to go to my dance class or I'd be able to stay longer at school to be able to perform these plays. And she'd get me all of these costumes and do my makeup. And she just was this mom that really paid attention to what her child uh, was interested in and just supported and just stood behind me full force. And then you make your way to the United States. What was the experience of feeling like an international kid in LA? Like your father is Somalian, your mother's Norwegian. We're talking about that. And you still visit Norway currently. I know that because we were talking a little bit about that on set mm -hmm. at our cover shoot. What was it like being this international kid in LA and the land of Hollywood and, and <laughs> acting world? Yeah. When I first moved to Los Angeles, I remember the night before. I was in Oslo and we had packed all our bags and we'd been preparing for this move for about a year. The reason why we moved is because my mom met my stepdad and he lived in Los Angeles and we decided, you know, Oslo, Los Angeles, pick the place where it's, you know, summer or most of the year rather than winter. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we had been preparing for this move and I was so excited. But the night before, um, I mean, I was a kid, I was a child and I was just crying because I was leaving all my friends and my family and it was scary like my English was 
close to zero. And it's just a big adjustment. I had no siblings. I was an only child at the time. And it was a big move. But then I remember landing in Los Angeles and it was October and it was sunny skies and palm trees. And my mom always tells me I was doing cartwheels out of the terminal. (laughs) Where we lived was very far removed from Hollywood or even like the idea of like this entertainment world. We moved to, you know, very deep West Valley, which is suburbia. And it was a big adjustment because I had so much independence in Oslo. I could ride my bike around the neighborhood. Yes. you know, go to the store. My mom would write on a piece of note, like piece of paper being like, I need to get this, <laughs> this and this. And, you know, the shop person knew me and it was probably what I imagined what America was like in the fifties or sixties or whatever. Yeah. So I moved to Los Angeles and I was so upset because that independence was taken away from me. I couldn't walk to school by myself. I couldn't go to 7-Eleven and get a candy bar. And adjustment wise, culturally, it was just so different. Um, it's so funny because I, I mean, I was bullied for having an accent. Oh, no. I, you know, just being different when you're a kid is just amplified and you're ashamed of it. And I uh, very quickly wanted to learn English as fast as possible. I was in this program called, I think, Hooked on Phonics, which was very popular site. When we'd go to the library, I'd get taken to the corner and this lady would teach me how to read and write in English and I wanted to just be with the kids. And so that led to me not really wanting to speak Norwegian. And um, that ultimately led me to kind of forget the language or forget the language because the main language in the house was English since my stepdad was American. Um, But it was just so different. It was, I think you could not get more polar opposite of Norway. Yes. That is, it was just, yes. I I was so lucky because I was a child. You were young enough. So like I was, it took me maybe a year to be a little valley girl. (laughs) I went to an international school in New York City. Oh, really? A lot of my friends are from all over the world. And I know so much about how they grew up in their cultures and like imagining that and that part of California where you were living at the time. So true. Completely different upbringing, right? Completely different lifestyle. As a kid, What kind of film and television content had an impact on you? Who were the actors that you were looking at? You know, now you're in the United States and you have the opportunity to absorb all this American content. What was catching your eye in those grade school years, those early high school years? Oh, yeah. um, That's impressive for sure. (laughs) Right, right. Of course. I was so obsessed with Full House because they would do all the reruns. That's when I was really young. I loved Full House and I wanted to be Michelle so badly. It's amazing. Um, I feel like Full House really resonates with kids. Like even this new version of Full House, people love. Like my nephews. Oh, really? I haven't seen the new one. My nephews love. Like (laughs) and then they want to see the old ones. It's it's funny. Um, yeah, I think it was just, it's a feeling of this cozy family. And then, you know, Bob Saget always has this big speech in the middle of the episode, and the girls learn something and uh, of course, Uncle Jesse is so beautiful to look at. I, I, I thought it was still going, and I'd like remember being like eight and nine, and being like, "Okay, this is the producer. Like, we need to call the producer so I can get on the show." <laughs> like, not realizing the show had ended in the nineties. That's so cute. Yeah, um, it was like very business oriented. <laughs> yes, down to business. Um, exactly, and then um, I loved that. So Raven, I loved Raven Simone. 
and uh, I loved Family Matters, all of these sitcoms, which is so, so American. We didn't have like six channels in like on basic cable, I guess, right. in Norway right. before TV exploded. But here there were so many reruns and so many different types of television programs. And um, as I got older, I like my teenage years, I think like a lot of people watched skins i remember that really shaping who i was and with movies i really i really got interested in i'd like kind of hyper fixate on an actor and i remember really being into joseph gordon lovett for a while so i watched like mysterious skin by greg araki and like i watched all of his earlier movies and then of course i i really loved Jennifer Lawrence. I started with Winter's Bone, but then watched everything before she did Winter's Bone. And then um, who else? I'm trying to remember. But I like really got into yeah. like, these weird independent dramas that I'd kind of find uh, online, like on a crappy website yeah. to watch. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just really loved movies. I think when I was a teenager, I'd lose a lot of sleep just Googling different movies and watching them. I guess like I didn't realize at the time it was this weird passion of people's performances and wanting to kind of study them and their career path in a way. We're going to talk about the two recent films that you starred in, but before that, Netflix's 13 Reasons Why, we just touched on that, ran from 2015 to 2020. You starred in what's described as your breakout role as Jessica Davis. We'll talk more about that. But there have been multiple other roles for you on TV in, in highly visible projects. Ray Donovan, Hulu's oh, Casual, yeah. MTV's Teen Wolf, CSI opposite Patricia Arquette. When you think about your work in those roles, what comes to mind? Who were you and how did you develop as an actor? Uh, I think about that time so fondly because it was so exciting as an actor because you're just scratching like the surface and it was so exciting with each audition and then each callback and then booking it. And then you're supposed to only be in one episode, but then they like you. So they keep bringing you back. And that's when I was homeschooled because I was lucky enough to be working too much, I guess. And um, I was 17 at the time I moved out of my house actually. And I moved into a really small apartment in central Hollywood and I remember finishing up high school while I was on these sets and being able to meet like John Voigt and Liev Schreiber and work with Patricia Arquette. And, you know, in these very minor roles, but that had such beautiful arcs that really taught me a lot about being comfortable on set, which is its own art. And then being able to create these beautiful relationships with these amazing people who have worked in this industry for so long. It was just such an exciting time in my life. I I was working on Ray Donovan at the same time I was working on CSI and as at the same time I was working on Teen Wolf. So it was just amazing. Like, this like year of of being able to just visit as many sets as possible. And, and you get to see the differences between all of that. Yeah, they're all so different. <laughs> and you learn from that, right? Yeah. You got to work on three key projects, all very different, and you and you must have learned something just by having to toggle between all three, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was so, I was so young 
I didn't realize how young I was. I thought I was such an adult because I was paying <laughs> rent. I didn't have my high school diploma yet. And I had no life experience really of being an adult. And um, it was this huge growing process. I was maturing as I was working and learning on these sets. And I think had I not had that experience and gone straight into leading roles, I guess, I think I'd be a bit lost. And I'm just grateful to like be, had that experience for those couple of years of being able to, you know, be there just as a pure student um, and being able to just rub shoulders briefly, but so intensely with these people I respect so much. Your recent film, When You Finish Saving the World, Jesse Eisenberg's directorial debut, a story he wrote, was named by Hollywood Reporter as one of 20 best films of Sundance 2022. Oh, that's nice. How did did Jesse, an established actor, a first-time director, Mm -hmm. and someone who conceived of the story that you helped tell, go about bringing his vision to light? It was so, um, well, I just want to talk about how the project came to be because it was such an interesting time for all of us in the world because this movie, January of 2021. So all of 2020, we'd all been locked up in our houses and had gone through quarantine. And it was such an early stage in the film industry of, re-entering the world and uh it was so exciting for me personally because I hadn't worked the full year I had wrapped 13 reasons why in December of 2019 and then January February March of 2020 it's when like the world's locked up and I'm like I was like this epic show for Alicia Mm -hmm. then all this pandemic and all this stuff happening yes what a what a crazy transition right yeah I was I was used to working so much and like just being involved in a tv show and just being so stimulated all the time work-wise to just complete stillness which everyone experienced yeah I'm so grateful for that time because it was a good time to be able to decompress and um just enjoy being able to just look back on everything that just had happened in the last four or five years of my life which was the only you know silver lining of the world kind of falling apart for that year um but yeah going back to when you finish saving the world I remember reading the script and being so excited about it of course but then I was like oh my gosh am I too old to play (laughs) Finn Wolfhard's lover (laughs) And um, I I was able to speak with Jesse beforehand and he explained it so beautifully. I'm supposed to be unattainable and as Lila for Finn's character because I'm supposed to remind him of his mother played by Julianne Moore. And there's supposed to be this big discrepancy between our maturity levels. And it's just this weird push and pull dynamic that I hadn't seen before in a love interest uh, role. And I was really excited to explore that. And I think any movie that I watch where there's a parent child dynamic, and they spend the two hours exploring that just fascinates me and moves me. So I was excited to be a part of that story. What did you observe about 
Jesse, who was, you know, directing something for the first time, Mm -hmm. you know, he'd conceived of the story and he's also this established actor. Was there anything about his process that uh, you noted that was interesting to you or that you learned from? First of all, I was like, Jesse, I'm a fan of to begin with. And I was just nervous to work with him. But what I really appreciate about his process was that he was really, because he is an actor and this was his first time filming a movie or directing a movie was just how he was. And it's so personal to him because he wrote, directed it. And some of it, you know, was, it wasn't based on his life at all, but like just personal elements to it. Of course. Yeah. was how open and giving and collaborating he was and how good he was at putting everyone else at ease and that's what I really appreciated about him as a director. He was so open to communication. He made such a lovely atmosphere on set with the other actors and the crew and the cinematographer and um, the producers. So it was just such a, yeah, it was such a loving, it was a loving set, really. How is your character Lila similar to you, namely in how she differs from the Finn Wolfhard character. You've been involved with various charitable organizations in a number of different ways. Lila has her own eyes open to the citizens of the world. She's politically and socially engaged. Is there a similarity there? I think the only similarity would be that we care about what's happening in the world in an authentic way, not in like a I hope in a performative way, but other than that, we are so, so different. I was not that uh, smart in high school. I was not that (laughs) engaged in high school. I cared more about like drinking out of kegs, I think, but um, (laughs) 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 she had her head screwed on correctly. But yeah, I just find the kids, Gen Z in particular, and kids who are in high school today and middle school are just they have access to so much information and they're able to just, they're so politically active way more than I think my friends and I were in high school, even though what we're only 10 years apart, but yeah, um, it's very true. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to explore that. But other than that, yeah, me and Lila, she's very shy and socially awkward and has an interest in one specific thing. And that will be her whole focus and her whole agenda and my brain can't just focus on one thing and do that so she's um she's quite different from me in that way I have a friend like that actually yeah she's a person that kind of gets engrossed in something yes and goes full force with it for a period of time yeah and then there will be some other thing I wish I had a piece of that honestly it's a really good it's a good trait to have but then on the other hand it could also be very I don't know, detrimental because you just limiting. See, yeah. You just see one thing and you're fully engrossed in it. And, but I mean, I find that those are the most successful people really. <laughs> you've worked with some really interesting and talented people behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone that you've collaborated with to date in that way? Who's made an impact on how you work today? Yeah, there there's many really. I mean, I find that every director I work with because the director and actor relationship is so intimate and so trusting and there's so many different personalities that you work with that it 
it teaches you how to perform or live in these characters in these worlds and these stories in such different ways that you wouldn't even think of or dream of and then it also gives you the skills to be able to work in different ways and with different personalities and I think there are certain actors that you meet where it goes beyond the project you're working on and you learn from each other through your collaboration together it moves you and you create this beautiful relationship and collaboration and it inspires you in a way that you couldn't do on your own. But I think that's the whole world of what we do. We couldn't do any of it on our own and you need to work with people who kind of push you and then make you feel uncomfortable. And I've learned from people who I didn't really get along with or really didn't have the same type of... um, way of working together it teaches you so many things on how to move through this world that you're in but yeah and it's also really interesting when you become close with people who write for your film or your tv show because they see it in such a different way and that's where like the it's born in the text and then being able to take that from the page and move on from it and talk to them and then you guys are going back and forth of like, oh, wait, I didn't think of this. I didn't think of that. There's no specific one person because it's like yeah. I can't pick and choose that they're all they're all part of the journey in a way. Upcoming for you is an Apple TV Plus period series. I was an English major, so I can't wait for this one. Oh, wow. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah. Tell, tell everyone about that. Yeah, it's based on an um, Edith Wharton book. An unfinished Edith Wharton book, funnily enough, called The Buccaneers. Um, she passed before she could finish it. And it's based, it's about a group of girls who are in high society in New York. And they move to England to find husbands. And the contrast between new money and old money and how these girls from new money kind of enter this old stiff English society. It's interesting because historically that's that's how it happened. And Americans at that time were more rich than the old aristocrats in England because they were losing money and needing money for, you know, upkeep all of these beautiful homes and stately homes they had and castles and whatnot. So they'd bring all these American girls, but they were so different culturally from all these English people. They didn't understand they had so many rules and ways to have, to live in the society and they kind of shook everything up. So it's, um, I really enjoyed working on it because it was such a modern take on that time period. I'm excited to see what people think about that. It's a first period piece for you, right? Yes. I was going to say that, you know, you've had so much experience in helping to tell particularly timely and modern stories previously right. conveying kind of current life experiences. And speaking of modern stories, you also recently start in the Netflix film, do revenge <laughs> where an intimate video is leaked online. I mean, this is an increasingly modern day issue, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Even when I was in high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 13 reasons why, of course, dealt with suicide, something it seems we're seeing more of. And we're hearing about how depression and anxiety is on the rise in everyone, but particularly in young women. Can you share the details of the story for the sake of the conversation here 
your character, Jessica Davis, a sexual assault survivor. You had a pivotal episode, for example, called The Drunk Slut. Do you want to talk just a little bit about Jessica and her character arc? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I haven't talked about it in so long. Yeah, I thought it'd be interesting (laughs) to kind of revisit that on the podcast. It was an interesting time because I remember there was this moment in the we were filming the second season and simultaneously the second season, Jessica is going through the aftermath of her assault and she decides to press charges. And simultaneously while we were filming it is when the Harvey Weinstein scandal came to be and all these women coming forward. And I have this scene where I'm in court and I have to, you know, stand like name my assaulter. And, um, but it just felt so timely because we'd like wake up and every day there'd be this news article of this whole Me Too movement and more women coming out and out and now just felt so surreal because obviously the writers hadn't based it on this movement that was happening. It was just no incidental that it was happening. Wow. How, how intense. It was one one of my questions. One of my questions for you, actually, Alicia, was sort of how did you begin to think about, well, suicide, number one, but sexual assault outside of your role and during that span of the years of 13 Reasons Why and your speaking to that now. I mean, it was this thing you were playing on the screen, but this thing that was happening in, in our country. I was so young when I started the show. So I was still a teenager, but of course I knew what sexual assault was. And I mean, suicide and addiction and all of that. Unfortunately, I mean, kids have been dealing with this for years. This isn't like a modern or like a newfound thing or a recent thing it's been going on forever I think most of us have been touched by any of these subjects yes in our lifetime especially when we're younger and it was personal to me when we started the show it was extremely personal which is why I was so passionate about it but having to perform that as well I learned so much about the journey of a survivor on a on a very deep emotional personal level because I was this person that people would talk to all the time all of a sudden as a as a teenager and I would hear these stories all the time and then I'd have to go into work and perform and it became so ingrained in my life and I mean, people in my life would talk to me about it and then strangers would talk to me about it and, you know, about their experiences with sexual assault or rape or suicide. And so it was this very heavy personal thing for a long time. And I mean, I didn't mind it. I loved it and I felt so privileged to be able to be that person. But I don't think I understood while I was doing it because how can you? I think you'd be a little a little too self-important if you were like, yeah, I'm this person. And you're also sort of ingrained at the task at hand. Yeah. You become this, you could become this um, kind of this poster for 
for this. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you that question, that typical question. And then I thought that's such a typical question. Like, (laughs) do you feel the responsibility and the weight of being this person? That's not really what I want to ask, but I think you're speaking to it. What happened to you during that time was that you were performing and you were a part of this show, but you know, what ended up happening is that those you knew and those you didn't know came to you and it started this discussion. Yeah. Um, so you had this sort of 360 experience of performing something and then also talking about it. Yeah. It was a really interesting time in that way, but I'm so grateful for it because I became less naive. I felt so connected to people on a larger scale. Um, I think that's quite rare to be able to to um, tell a story that it is entertainment. But then being able to have people come up to you like at a restaurant or a bar and they're like in tears because they felt connected to a story that happened to them um, was just it's it, it feels like a privilege. It's a special thing and I still carry it. And I really don't. I just I'm really grateful for it, really. Yeah, I would think a privilege in a very unique way to just grow as a human being. Mm hmm. You have millions of fans and followers. I think you talked. You just talked a little bit about this. Is there anything that fans reach out to you about that sticks with you the most? Maybe it's some of those moments from 13 Reasons Why. Maybe there's more. You've got so many fans and followers. <laughs> what sticks out to you? What do you think about when it comes to what they share and what they ask about? I think it's um, just that when I just said, I think the 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 most meaningful for me is when someone comes up to me and tells me a story of theirs or why they connected with the character that I played. Because um, I think that's why we do what we do. It's to move people. And the fact that I was able to connect with this stranger and have them be moved by a piece of work that I've done is just like, it's, it's so incredibly rewarding and, I'm overusing the word, but it just feels so privileged as well. In the general sense, how do you manage and think about social media? Something that can become so consuming and something that requires more consideration for someone who's a public figure like yourself. I think it's easier for me because I've had social media since I was 13, like with MySpace and then Facebook and then when I was in high school, Instagram became very popular and I never really looked at it as a business thing, as I think like young actors do nowadays, where it's like, oh, this is my business and I need to, you know, strategize. And yeah, yeah. I need to strategize. What is my brand and what is that? And, you know, maybe it would be more beneficial to me if I <laughs> if I was like that. But um, I don't I because I'm so close to my friends that are on it. And I really communicate with my friends on Instagram that it is still a very personal thing. I think I'm just more careful. I tend to just keep things a little bit more private, I guess, when it comes to personal details and people in my life. Like, I don't want to post my little brother all the time because he has to go to school. And then like, I don't want to, you know, just little things like that. But there are things that you want to hold back. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, at first it was overwhelming when I was younger because it went from like having like a couple hundred followers to a million. But like, I think the adjustment period, I'm used to it now um, in terms of being just the visibility online. Uh, that It doesn't really affect me that much. I don't think about it. 
you've worked both in the indie and commercial genres. Do you think about how you'll continue to do so in your career or do categories not matter? Does having a career plan in that way matter? Uh, I think it matters in terms of intention. I think intention is really important when you pick projects. I'm still in the stage of my career where I just want to keep working and learning. For me, I, in terms of a career plan, yeah, I just want to have intention. I don't really think about, oh, this is an independent or this is a commercial. I want to read a story and care about it and do it because it is your time that you're investing. And I don't want to be on a project for three months to eight months or whatever. And being on a project, that's just like something that I don't care about. It's not personal to me or that I want to invest my time in. Is there anything else that's important to you when it comes to your career and what you want to experience? I want to continue being in projects that I think are worth people watching, <laughs> that, I, that I think is worth doing and inspires me and um, that I will learn from. And I want to be scared before every project. I want to work with people I can learn from. Yeah, those are the most important things to me, just being able to create these incredible experiences that when I look back on, I'm like, wow, I just learned so much on that. And then can't wait to feel like a novice in the next project. And also on the topic of experiencing, what else is important to you in life? Do you think a lot about the balance between your personal and professional lives? What do you value and what do you want to keep in mind as you move through life? Yeah, the work-life balance is really important. I think, I mean, when you're an actor, you're, you're really, you're like, in a circus, you know, you're never really at home. So what I value the most is creating a, a home because you're always going to be in a weird, you know, apartment, a temporary apartment for six months or a hotel room in the middle of nowhere. It's important to be able to ground yourself. And I really cherish and I'm so grateful for my friendships because they are my home and they keep me so grounded and they keep me so, they make me feel less lonely when I'm away from home, 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 physically, like Los Angeles. They, yeah, they help me so much. So that's what I value the most. Who and what inspires you as a creative artist? What are the kinds of things that you take in that gets you excited about the opportunity you have to be an actor and to make more art? Yeah, finding inspiration is always a, I feel like a push and pull thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's all of us. Sometimes we feel really inspired and sometimes we really we yeah. don't. And I think yeah. a big part of it for me is not forcing it and kind of just allowing life to hit you and sit in your feelings and sit in when you're feeling bored and then you find that inspiration will find you. But I mean, like at the end of the day, I feel like watching a really great movie that moves you or listening to a beautiful song or sharing an experience with an old friend or going on a walk and looking at all the trees. It's like silly little things like that or reading a really nice book. And then your mind kind of goes from there. But I find like if you force, or I guess through my experience, if you force inspiration or force something to happen, it kind of works against you. 
to just sit in boredom and that helps. So true. (laughs) Speaking of inspiring artists, you worked with the artist Sarah Baba Mm -hmm. for her series, Fool Me Twice. I own some of those pieces, actually. Do you? I do. It's hanging on a wall. (laughs) And Sarah was a guest of the podcast. Oh, amazing. How did you first connect with Sarah? Sarah reached out to me. um, And then we decided to meet for dinner. I've been following her for a while. And then she just reached out online. I'm like, yes, I would love to meet you. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And we met and was just like hanging out and getting to know each other. And she was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing next, but I really love to work with you. And I love I'm like, I would love to work with you. And then a couple of months later, she reached out. I didn't even know what the project was, who was going to be in it. She was like, would you like to do my next photo series with me? And I just said, yes, blindly. And it turned <laughs> out that way. I have you hanging on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I have to take a picture of it and send it to you. Yes, please. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as you know, Sarah's just such a, a sweet, sweet, genuine. See soul. you getting along over dinner, you know? Yeah. I can almost um, hear and feel what that sounded like. How does she pr- approach her work from a technical standpoint? Here's this opportunity you had. I mean, you're an actor, right? But you had an opportunity to do this very interesting thing with an artist to incorporate sort of cinematic stuff, but also social media stuff into her work. How does she approach her work from a technical standpoint? What's it like being the subject of one of her photos? Yeah, I I don't, I feel like I don't do well with photography usually because I'm like, not I, according to our cover spread. Thank you. I just, I would not agree. <laughs> I would not agree. A lot of training now, but I like the photos are incredible. But the photos are incredible. I can't wait. You're nervous. That's interesting. Yeah, I get nervous. I get super nervous. I I feel like I freeze up and my lip starts like shaking. I don't know. And like, I just, it's interesting because it's this, I feel, you know, I feel more comfortable, you know, saying lines and being able to talk to someone and expressing being like the subject of a photograph. You're the only person and you're looking at this camera and you're trying to you're trying to tell a story, especially when it comes with Sarah's work. And um, there's she, a message. She uses her own um, journal entries and her own writing and it's all very personal to her. So she, there is this beginning and middle and end. There is this story that we were telling that she let us look at all the text beforehand. And then the technicality of it was like she just tells you to like keep moving which was so much better to me for me like being in motion and just talking to the camera and um uh she makes it a very comfortable set so being able to work with Noah who I'd never met before that day it just felt like it should have been very uncomfortable because we were very intimate on that set and didn't know each other and but because of Sarah and because of Noah as well it just felt like it was easy to move through because we were telling this story rather than Alicia and Noah like sitting naked in a bathtub together you know (laughs) yeah there was something behind it was something behind it yeah yeah and she's so meticulous about her vision so I can only imagine like what that experience was like I know that a lot of that art series you were in has to do with attachment theory do you think about that ever did Sarah's um ideas about that provoke you to think about that whole thing in a big way or a different way yeah yeah I think like maybe a year prior to Sarah's, I just heard about attachment theory for the first time. 
Um, I mean, we all have different ways of attaching in a relationship, naturally. Um, it definitely made me think about it, for sure. Uh, yeah, I still don't know what mine is. I keep going back and forth. But it is such a, it's such a personal, intimate thing. I feel like it really um, exposes how you were yeah. raised and how you attach to friendships and romantic relationships and what you need to ultimately work on as well. And it's also like the dynamic between two specific people as well can bring out a different attachment in you. But it is a different, yeah. It's like a very interesting thing to read up on for sure. So true. Very true. Do you find that the people that you surround yourself by and your physical surroundings affect you as an artist and as a creative? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's true for anyone though. Like I feel, I feel. Are you sensitive to it though? You'd be surprised. Like I think, you know, I have this conversation. I talk to a lot of people, creative people on the podcast and yeah, obviously creative people maybe share that. Maybe you're more sensitive to it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it will be like someone will walk in. I'm just making this up like a hotel or a home and just get comfortable wherever they are. And, and creatives are highly sensitive people. Right. So you'll be like, I don't feel comfortable in a totally white space or, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm the complete opposite of that. I get get nervous (laughs) if someone's talking too loud at a table. I am very sensitive to that. I'm very sensitive to my surroundings and, um, I feel like I am never like the same person with different people. Like I'm a different Alicia talking to her friend, different Alicia talking to her brother, different Alicia talking to a stranger. Uh, I definitely feel like the environment and people kind of doesn't change who I am, but it definitely brings out different parts of me. Uh, I'm not like this one constant thing. I'm like, I'm Alicia and I'm this, and I'm always going to act like this. I, I've never functioned that way. And I don't think I ever will. Now that I think about it, I guess I am very extremely sensitive to my surroundings. Switching gears a bit. And we were talking about this. I can't wait for you to see the photos in our cover spread because they're just beyond incredible. They're great. You're a lover of style and fashion. You know, whose style has inspired your own and how do you describe your style? Oh, that's, I don't know. Um, I do, I, I, I appreciate fashion. I really do. I'm not very well versed in it. as Like some people are like, I have friends who are so into um, clothing and vintage clothing specifically and know like the history of a piece of fabric and can go on and on. I think I've had like this really interesting journey with being an actor and then being in, uh, introduced to this other side of um, the industry, which is like the fashion industry, which is so ingrained and like, performing arts costuming and all that and costuming and um I've had I've just been so exposed to it and learned so much about it because I've been um living with it and um what I I've gone through this journey of like really I find that clothing to me needs to be something that I feel super confident in which goes to everybody but I find that I'm like very into into silhouettes and what looks great shapes mostly, which is. I saw that about, I saw that about you. I, I could see that about you. And I thought that would, I think that's very, very interesting. You're conscious about the silhouette and the shape and your silhouette and the shape and how it looks. That sort of mindset feels very much like um, the mindset of 
many people that I've worked with over the years who are in fashion, who oh, are wow. fashion editors, fashion designers, you know, when you really start to think about silhouette in that way, that's why I wanted to ask you about style. So mm-hmm. yeah, your silhouette is a, is a thing that guides you in terms of your personal style. Yeah. And I think I've just, maybe in the last two, three years have really become very, I've found my own, what works for me and my personal style and what I want. And, um, I've paid more attention to like fashion brands because I've been able to go to the shows and I find right. like how much work goes into and how beautiful a fashion show is and how like the clothing sits on a body and the different tailoring and colors and fabrics. It just, it's intriguing in that way. And I find myself more and more as I get older, the more I like pay attention to it, the more interested I become. And it's such a, it's such a, it's a fun process because it it is an art form in itself. It is. And there are a lot of big fashion moments in your future. Okay. As we wrap more on style, we're wrapping up with the six things that you're into these days mm-hmm. from a lifestyle perspective. What are the six things that are kind of current obsessions for you? Okay. Six things I will say, and it's going to be like anything really, but, um, the sick, like the first thing I'll say that's always been consistent in my life is salmon. <laughs> oh, salmon. I love that. Okay. And canned fish. In canned fruit. salmon or canned fish and salmon canned salmon? and canned fish. So it could be like canned oh my mackerel, God. canned tuna. Um, it's so having like a moment right now too. I know. I know. It's and very so European and it's... Yeah. I've been, you know, disgusted with my, my, my eating habits for the last year. And I'm like, there's a restaurant, this very cool, like gorgeous restaurant that serves a meal that you can get like a canned fish add on a tin fish. (laughs) I swear to God. I know. I think I went to like a Spanish restaurant a couple of months ago and they charged 20 bucks for like a tuna. Totally. I was like, what's going on? Um, but that's always been a staple. Okay. So what's your fave though? Like what brand and what fish? I mean, I think, well, there's, there's this one from Norway, which is, it's mackerel and tomato sauce. Mackerel is so good for you. It's so amazing, but I'll get you the brand name. I'll email it to you. Um, But I grew up eating that. And when I went to Norway last, I got a bunch of cans and brought it to London. And I was like living with a bunch of people at the time. And then I'd like sit and open up this canned mackerel and put squeeze mayo on top of it and the whole kitchen would just stink and everyone's like (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's my favorite okay second thing I would say is always have like a cat around cats are the most beautiful majestic creatures ever and they're very inspiring they will make you feel good about taking naps all day. And I think they're just the most beautiful creatures ever to I love this explanation of cats. Yeah. You're, you're selling oh, me on cats, Alicia. Thank you. Um, I always believe, and then also having more so, in, I guess, in the home department, a really nice smelling candle in any room, I guess, like in the spirit of Higa, which is like, you know, the comfort, like, Danish scanny thing. What yeah. candle would that be? I love like I'm very quite basic, I guess. I love a Santal Lalabo. I do, I do, I like it, but like now I'm trying to get away from the Lalabo, I guess. But yes, I do love a candle. Okay, so Santal. That's or like just earthy, earthy scents. Like woodsy kind of stuff. Woodsy, yeah. Yeah. It's super nice. Okay. I love like a really 
worn really like a t-shirt that's going to almost fall apart and like your your like nipples kind of show through the white t-shirt is a staple there's something about a perfectly worn t-shirt that like yes. you just have to keep hanging on to it right yeah and then well, how many that's that? four, four? Okay. i love your list thank you you have to have like a staple in the beauty department staple lip which I always do. I love to have like a um, more, because I have dark lips. I like to have a darker red. That's almost like more maroon or have brown undertones. To the yeah. Red. Yeah. Is really good. Cause then you can put on anything and you put that on. Like if I were to do that right now, I'd look like put together. And so, what is that lipstick like for you? You have on your lips. Right? I have like a bright paint. I have like a a bright, but like just gen- a- I have this like magenta moment. I have a red moment, and then I have like a nude moment. You have yes. a dark sort of like a blood red moment that you say obviously yes. reads lighter on your lips because you have dark lips. What is the, exactly? What's your go to lipstick and color? I don't have one. I wish I did on the top of my head. I like buy it randomly. Yeah. I go to like the Target and get one or I can go to like um like a really nice like YSL one. I haven't found my like staple yet. Uh-huh. I just always kind of go mix. mix but mix. I love that. That's the color that you can buy no matter what it is. And that's the color that makes you feel put together. Yes. What else is on your list? What's the last thing? What's what's a topic I haven't covered yet? Let's see. Well, we have beauty. We have home candles. We have food, fish. We have a beauty. We have a cats. We have cats. The worn out t-shirt. Um, <laughs> oh, I have to say, oh, I don't want to say it though, but I'm going to say it. Always like a really good piece of gold jewelry for your ears. Always warms you up. And I really, I do love it, but I don't wear it enough. But like a good pair of gold hoops. What kind of gold hoop? Um... Like a small, like a thin, and like no, it could be chunky, but like not like the big oh. ones, but like the ones that, if they have like a nice detail on them as well, that are like a bit more like textured, ornate. Yeah, that textured. would be super nice. And then always, um, as a proper Los Angelino, I love crystals and I love precious stones oh. and I love keeping that around. Where do you get your stones from? Anywhere I. Um, any shop that you would go into, I'm, I'm going to yeah. go to Joshua Tree a lot. There's a really nice shop in Silver Lake that I'm blanking on, but I really want to say their name. But I've been going to them for a while. Spellbound Sky, and the people who own it are like oh, the gorgeous. best people ever. They're so they're like drenched in black and look like witches and warlocks, and it's really fun. <laughs> so gorgeous, fun. I love it, and it's so nice to have a relationship with people like that. Yeah, and I love your description of how gold warms up the ears. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Alicia, it was so great talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing all about your story and what's happening next for you. Thank you for being our upcoming hover. We're really I'm excited. I'm so about excited it. to see the whole story. I had such a fun day with you guys on set. 